Good morning and happy new year to you. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn to Psalm 47. Psalm 47. Let's uh, bow in a word of prayer. Father God, how worthy you are of all glory going to you. And Father, we pray that from our lips would represent our hearts, would be manifested in our lives, and that you indeed would be glorified. And Father, as we look at Psalm 47, maybe not familiar to us and Maybe the context even less so, but allow your word, your living word, to penetrate our hearts and our lives for our betterment and for your glory. In the name of Christ, we pray, amen. Rosh Hashanah. You probably heard the phrase before, Rosh Hashanah. It means the head of a new year. It actually is the phrase used for the new year in the Jewish calendar. Now, the Jewish calendar celebrates the new year in the seventh month, the month of Tishri, which according to our Gregorian calendar would be somewhere between September and October. But the point is, Psalm 47 gives us a glimpse of what God expects of his people at the beginning of a new year. That's what Psalm 47 is. It's Rosh Hashanah. It is the head of the new year. Interestingly enough, it doesn't begin like we celebrate New Year's. It actually is two days of confession and repentance. Two full days lead up to the new year where we will confess the sins that we have committed against God and empowered by God's spirit, we will turn and we will repent. But it's actually much more than that. After two days, we have seven more days of confession and repentance. If you're keeping score, that's nine days. And then it concludes with the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And so Rosh Hashanah is the first of 10 days. We call them the 10 days of repentance. That's how God envisions that you and I will conclude one year and begin a new year that we would confess our sin and the power of God's spirit begin to turn from our sin, that they would be the 10 days of repentance. Now they begin with the shofar blast. In fact, a series of shofar blasts calling us, calling the congregation to a time of confession and repentance. A shofar is a ram's horn. And so this morning, we're going to have the first blast. It's the tekiah. It's a long blast. And the shavarim, which is three short blasts. 
And the terua, nine staccato blasts. And the tekiya getola, that means long, means giant. The long, giant blast. Now, I've got to tell you that you are inappropriately dressed. It is Rosh Hashanah. You should be dressed in white. White signifies purity. It signifies the desire that at the end of one year and the beginning of a new year, that we confess that we repent, and though our sin be as scarlet, it be made white as snow. Now, you'll notice in front of Bianca, she has two plates. The first plate has the candles. We'll talk about that in a moment. And that is the solemnity, the seriousness of our sin. And the second plate, and we'll talk about each of those items, that is the celebration of what God does in our life. Now, she is wearing the talit, the prayer shawl. That is necessary If she were married, she would wear it over her head. As a single person, she wears it over her shoulders. And she will now light the two candles. Now, there could be more than two candles, but there will always be two. There could be a candle for every person in the room, or you could summarize every person with two candles. And she will call the light to herself, and she will ask the light to come to her, the light of God, three times She will ask and draw the light, God's light, to herself. And then she will lead us in a prayer. She's going to say the prayer in Hebrew, but you'll want to keep your eyes open because we're going to give you the English translation up above. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Malak Ha'alom Ashir Kitshanu Bamitzvotov Vitzvanu Lahadlik Heshil Yomtov. Baruch Ata Adonai Elohenu Malek Haalom Sheheyanu Vikmanu Vihiganu Lazman Haze Yomtov. The first blessing or prayer was one of confession. God forgive me. God, I have not thought of you properly. God, I have ignored your laws. I have ignored your statues. God, I confess that I'm a sinner and the power of your spirit turned me away from my sin and towards righteousness. The second is one of sustenance. It's a prayer asking God to give us a great new year that we might live for him, that we might serve him. You'll also notice the pomegranate. This is a particularly seedy fruit. In fact, the ancients thought that a fully developed pomegranate had 613 seeds. That happens to be the number of laws that God gives us in the Old Testament. And so when we consume the pomegranate, it's as if we were to say, God, We want to consume your word. We want to live your word out for your glory. Now we have asked for God's blessing. We have asked for God's forgiveness. We have asked that God's word penetrate our hearts. 
The meal then begins with a kadush. It begins with a prayer blessing over the wine and a second blessing. And then we have the bread. Now this bread has been cut in half, but normally it would be circular. It's the hakahala. It would be circular representing a new circular year, a new year that God has given us. It's also circular representing the crown of God because as we'll see in Psalm 47, one of the main foci of the Psalm is that we understand that he is king, that he is the ruler. We don't get to opt in and opt out of God as ruler. He is the king. Now we cut this in half so you might see that there are little bits of raisins or dates. That's sweetness. We add that because we're asking God for this go around that he would be sweet towards us, that he would be kind towards us. We might take little pieces of apple and put them on because that's sweet. We might take honey and put it on top because that's sweet. So God is inviting us not only to confess, not only to repent, not only to acknowledge his word and to penetrate our heart, not only for his light to come in, not only that he is king of our lives, but he's inviting us to ask him in obedience that he will give us a sweet year. What we will not consume during Rosh Hashanah is anything bitter because we don't want a bitter year. We want God in response to our obedience, not as a deal, it's we honor God, we glorify God, and God in his graciousness then gives us a sweet new year. Now we might have, we don't hear, a pot of water in which someone might shake out the folds of their cloth. They might even throw some bread in the water as if to shake off the sin of the old through confession and a beginning anew with God. And then as we greet one another, the greeting will be as follows. La Shana Tova, which means for a good year. Thank you, Bianca. At this point, we would then read Psalm 47. We'd actually read it seven times. Why seven times? Because the word God, Elohim, is seven times in the text. And so to honor God, we read it one time each for the seven names given of God. I'm not going to read it seven times this morning, but I want to read it today, and then we're going to talk about it in two different ways. Psalm 47, Rosh Hashanah, the start of a new year. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, <coughs> the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. Selah. That's a breathing mark. Slow down. Think about what you're reading. That's what Selah teaches us. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. 
Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. As you and I go through Psalm 47, there's really like three themes that emerge. First, the theme is God is utterly worthy of praise. Let me just read verse 1 and 5 to 7 again. Clap your hands. Shout for joy. Sing praises to God. (coughs) Play the trumpet loud in praise. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. Sing praises with a psalm. This year might come with lots of expectations, lots of resolutions. We might say, these are the goals that I have. But what God wants us to do biblically is for us to think of him as the sunum bonum, the greatest good. He is to be the first thought in the morning. He is to be the last thought in the evening. He is to be the sum total of our priority of each day. That's the first theme. The second, and we're going to come back to these, the second is that God is not only to be celebrated, he is to be held in the highest reverential awe. Now, we're going to talk quite a bit about reverence, but reverence means weighty. God is to be the weight in our life. He is not to be an afterthought. He is not to be an add-on. He is not to be part of our life when it's convenient. He is the weighty part of our life. He is to be the first and the last, the alpha, the omega. He is to be our all in all. Let me read some of the passages from the text. Psalm 47, 2, the most high is to be feared. He is a great king over all the earth. Verses 3 and 8, God reigns over the nations twice. God sits on his holy throne, verse 8. God is highly exalted, verse 9. I think this is saying, Jeff, You're too cavalier with God. He's kind of an afterthought sometimes. He's not the focal point of every aspect of your life. Sometimes you think of him too much as your good buddy. He is to be feared. He is to be awed. He is to be held in weight. That's the God we serve. And then third, God owns everything. Everything including us. Isn't this the, G, the point that Jesus once made? You remember some of his disciples were wondering, should they pay tribute? Should they pay taxes to Caesar? And he said, give me a coin. And he said, whose likeness is on the coin? And they say, Caesar's likeness. He said, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And you remember the second part? Render to God what belongs to God. Let me put it a different way. Render to God what bears the image of God. That's what Jesus said. The coin, 
Give it to Caesar. Who cares? You, I, we bear the image of God. Render to God that which bears God's image. So the text is telling us God owns everything, including us. Let me just read verses seven to nine again. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with the psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. I'm about to do something that we're not good at at Highland. I'm sorry, it's just the truth. We're not good at it because we don't practice it. But we're going to say something together in unity. This is what we're going to say. God is worthy of all praise. God is to be revered. God owns everything, including us. Let's try this. God is worthy of all praise. God is to be revered. God owns everything, including us. See, you already know Psalm 47. That's the whole psalm. Now let's look at it in a little more detail. First, God is worthy of praise. Verse 1, who is to praise God? It says all people. All people is not just the artistic. It's not just those of you who can sing and carry a tune. I'm jealous. It's not those of you who can clap and tune. I'm jealous. It's not just those who have this ability to almost mesmerize individuals with your artistic ability. I'm jealous. It says all people. Who are to praise God? Everyone. Every image bearer of God is to praise God. I remember uh, a number of years ago, it was Easter. Uh, Jeff Weiss was putting together an Easter choir. And uh, he came to me rather alarmed. He said, you know, we've got this singer. He is awful, out of tune and really, really loud. And because he's so out of tune and so loud, he is drawing others to sing the wrong notes. Do something, Jeff. I said, okay, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll see what I can do. So I went to this dear brother and I said, uh, you know, God has gifted us all differently. Let's talk about your spiritual gifts. He said, I already know mine. It's music. I said, well, I, I hear otherwise. I, I hear that that might not be your spiritual gift. And, uh, and so I think we can find another gift, but you really shouldn't be on stage singing. He said, why? I said, because I've heard a few people say you shouldn't be on stage singing. He said, that's nothing. I've heard 50 people say you shouldn't be on stage preaching and you do it every week. <laughs> all right, I kind of made that up. <laughs> but all people are to praise God. Maybe all people aren't on stage, but all people, you, me, are to praise God. Now, I want to compare that to what sometimes goes on when you and I listen to worship. Sometimes we might be tempted to say, you know, 
They're doing that too slow. And they're doing that too fast. Didn't we already sing that chorus like seven times? I mean, come on, I got the first three. Or we might say, it's just too loud. Or it's too quiet. Or I don't like that number. Or this room is too hot. It's too cold. And, and we become judges as though worship were primarily about us. Secondarily, worship is to draw us in. But primarily, worship is focused on God. And I want to remind myself of this. This is a God who is worthy of praise, worthy of exaltation, and all of us are to participate, whether on stage or sitting in a chair, we are to participate because God is worthy of worship. In fact, there's some exuberant worship. There's clapping, there's shouting, there's singing, there's loud trumpets, there's shouting, there's singing psalms to God, all those phrases are in this text. It's exuberant worship. I want to make a few statements about worship. First, worship is rightly responding to God. It's seeing what God has done. It's seeing who God is, how he has rescued his people, and we rightly sing out our praises to him. Worship has God as the object of our affection. We're not singing so that the person next to us thinks we have a good voice. And we're not concerned that the person next to us hears that we have a not so good voice. God is the object of our worship. Third, and I don't mean to be offensive by this at all, but if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you cannot worship. You can't. You might be able to sing well. You might even send goosebumps up the arms of somebody who hears your amazing voice or your incredible talent. But one of the reasons that those who lead on stage have to share their testimony in Christ is because you cannot. It is not possible to worship without the Spirit of God within us. And the Spirit of God is only in us when we come to the end of ourselves, we confess that we are sinners and believe by faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and, and you have not placed your faith in Christ, why not start out the year with Christ as your Savior and Lord? You, I, we are sinners. Our sin will keep us from a holy God. God became man, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. He went to the cross and paid the penalty of sin, which is death, conquered death on the third day and rose again. That if we would confess, agree with God that we are sinners and by faith believe in Christ as Savior and Lord, we would be given eternal life. But the truth is this, I don't mean to offend. You, I cannot we cannot worship unless the Spirit of God is within us. We can sing, we can play, but worship requires God's Spirit to do something supernatural in and through us for God's glory. Fourth thing about worship is it's focused on Jesus. 
That's not to the detriment of God the Father. It's not to the detriment of God the Spirit. But God set it up to be focused on Christ. We call the Spirit this shy member of the Trinity because the Spirit has as his goal to exalt Christ. And what does God say of Christ? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ultimate focus in worship is Jesus Christ. And finally, you and I will be better worshipers the more we know of Scripture. The more we meditate on Scripture, the more we know about God, the better, the more glorifying our worship will be of the Lord. Psalm 47, 1 and following calls us, all of us, to be great worshipers. Second, Psalm 47, 2 to 6, calls us to live reverent lives before the Lord. Again, I've talked about reverence as awe or weighty. That's what reverence means. It means to have this weightiness of who God is. He's not to be an afterthought. He's to be the first thought in the morning, the last thought before we go to bed. We're to abhor sin because he abhorred sin. We're to love him because he first loved us. We're to be in awe of him and we're to fear him. The most high is to be feared, verse two. There is a weightiness. That's what reverence means. Sometimes we use it all wrong in our society. We use reverence to talk about a style of music. Maybe you're a traditionalist and you are led best in worship through hymns and organs and piano. That's fine, but that doesn't make it reverent. Or maybe you're charismatic or a contemporary Christian and you are led best with a band and choruses. That's great, but that doesn't mean there's reverence. Or maybe you're liturgical and you are led best with liturgy and the like. That's fine, but it doesn't mean you're reverent. Or maybe you're young and restless and you believe in ambiance and you want candles and can't believe Bianca blew those things out. Finally, we got candles in the building. That's fine. But reverence is not about those things. You can have reverence in every one of those areas and you and I can be irreverent in every one of those areas. Reverence is focusing on the Lord. Reverence is not thinking about yesterday's football game or this afternoon or let's be honest, we're all thinking about Alabama tomorrow beating Michigan. Yes, that's not reverence. Reverence is I am here. I am here to focus on God. He is my first thought. He is my last thought. He is great. He is the most high and he is to be feared. Reverence isn't a clothing. You can be incredibly reverent in a dress and a suit, a tie. You can be incredibly reverent with a head covering. 
You can be incredibly reverent, looking snappy like snappy pastors. You can be reverent in all of those ways. You can be irreverent. It's not about a style. It's not about a dress code. It's not about whether you live in a a high church setting or a low church setting. It's God. Is he the focus of our heart? I think of it this way. Isaiah chapter 6, an angel comes and says, holy, holy, holy. Holy means set apart. Set apart, set apart, set apart. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it caused the prophet Isaiah to say, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips, My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And he is changed. He is undone because of the presence of God. Reverence is Peter in a boat in Luke chapter 5. And he suddenly figures out who Jesus is. And he falls to his knees in a pile of fish guts. And he says, Get away from me. I am a sinful man. Reverence is the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, 31, saying it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Reverence is John the Baptist, the beloved disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. He's the teacher's pet. The end of his life, probably 89, 90 years old on the island of Patmos, a penal colony And he has this incredible vision, which is the book of Revelation. And in chapter 117, he sees a picture of Jesus. He's been with Jesus for three and a half years. But now he sees Jesus, the glorified Christ. He said, I fell as though dead before him. That's reverence. Reverence is this awe, this weightiness, this understanding that I'm not to be cavalier with God. He is not the dodger in the sky. He's not my big buddy. But he loves me. It's an unbelievable thing. He loves me. Reverence is somehow balancing that he is the most high and he is to be feared and I am the object of his rapt attention. Reverence is understanding the imminence, the otherliness of Christ. It is understanding that he is immutable. He is unchangeable. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He is omnipresent. Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I ascend to the depths of Sheol, you are there. There's nowhere I can go that God is not. And he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's the alpha and the omega. He is the uncaused cause. He always was. He always will be. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am. He is the one without equal, without rival, without parallel. This is God. And when we come to Psalm 47, we come to a new year. We have... Two days, Rosh Hashanah, to 
to confess and repent, seven more days to confess and repent, then the high holy day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the 10 days of repentance to focus on who this God is. And we ask for his light to come into our life. We ask that, that we might embrace the 613 laws. And we ask for another year to be filled with dates and raisins, and apples, and honey. We ask God to do what only God can do. That's Rosh Hashanah. That is Psalm 47. I want to conclude with comparing us to lobsters. Now that's awkward because I don't even eat fish. I'm allergic to it. I don't know anything about lobsters. But I've never even tasted them. Um, but I'm going to do it anyway. I understand that lobsters uh, molt. All of our young kids know that. What I didn't know is uh, in the first five years, they molt on average five times a year or 25 times. Then after that, they molt about one time a year until they make it on, on to your plate to eat. So they're always molting and my understanding is a lobster needs to kind of push out and crush the crusty covering. And then when the shell breaks off, they're really exposed. They're really vulnerable. It's a dangerous time until they grow yet another crust. I think that's what Psalm 47 is telling us to do. We get crusty in our faith. We get satisfied in our sin. And it's saying, be vulnerable to God. Be vulnerable to one another. Break through the crust and have God grow us. Molt through the sin, the crustiness. How God is too familiar. And think of him for who he is. He is God. He is almighty he is the most high. He is to be feared. And yet, we're the object of his rapt attention. So how do we conclude? God is worthy of all praise. God is to be revered. And God owns everything, including us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for a new year. And Father, how different, how different is Scripture calling us to a new year of confession and repentance than what is traditional? Getting soused, smoking Mother Nature, revelry, looseness, Father, help us to choose wisely how we look back on the last year, how we approach the new year, being reverent before you, asking your light to guide us, embracing your word, living it out, and humbly asking for fruitfulness, freshness, something enjoyable 
in the new year. You invite us to do this through Rosh Hashanah, the new year, Psalm 47. Help us to live it out in the name of Christ. Amen.